0: to come and
1: lead us in prayer today. Brother David and I had discussed the need to pray for the Ukraine, and uh, Rosia walked up and gave me a little letter that her son actually lives in Ukraine, and so we, we need to be praying as a church for what's going on in our world, and especially believers in the Ukraine that are sharing the gospel and being faithful. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we are reminded in your word that you have sovereign governance over all the nations of the world. And Lord, we know that uh, you can change things in a moment. Lord, you can cause uh, the hearts of kings to flow in the direction you would have them go, just like you control rivers. Lord, just like um, you, Lord God, can move and work. And Lord, we see uh, historically in the Bible how that you defended nations and you used nations to accomplish your purposes. And Lord, we just pray, Lord God, your word says that we should pray to our Father in heaven that your will would be accomplished on earth as it is accomplished in heaven. And Lord God, we plead with you and ask, Father, that you would work uh, in our world, especially in the Ukraine. I pray for uh, Franklin Graham and Samaritan Purse. They're on the front lines establishing uh, hospital care on the borders of Ukraine and contemplating going on in and opening up uh, hospitals and care and Father, we pray for direction, we thank you for light, precious faith, we thank you for Samaritan Purse, for Franklin Graham and the efforts, Lord, that are taking place. Lord, we, we trust you, we know that ultimately, uh, Father, uh, even in the consummation of the age, Lord, you are in sovereign control, and we trust you, and we, we pray for uh, Victor and Rosia's son in the Ukraine, uh, we pray for divine protection. And we thank you for Victor and Rosia that they're part of our church. And, uh, Lord, we just pray your blessings. And may, Father, we all continually stay in your word and be in prayer uh, for not only the Ukraine, but all over our world at this present time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Just want to make you aware real quickly of our uh, connection card. We welcome you to First Baptist Church. If it's your first or second time with us, you don't know much about us yet. We would love to know a little bit more about you, so fill this out, and uh, we'll send you more information about the church. There's some opportunities on the back to check a box and say, "Well, I'd like to know more about this or that," or uh, and then for the rest of us, there's an opportunity to put down prayer requests as always, and we'll be faithful to pray for those. So please do that and put that in the offering plate. Uh, again. Now, this Sunday, we're going to put it in the offering plate as we leave. Starting next Sunday, we hope to be passing the plates uh, again, uh, which, by the way, uh, giving has been so great. If, is, that, is that yes, Tim? Yes? Okay. So, uh, now, if we start passing the plates and giving goes down, no, <laughs> we're not going to do it. So, hey, let's sing this great... Uh, Great, great hymn that reminds us that we need to stay close to the Lord, that we constantly need His revival, His renewal, in our life revive us again. body of Christ, building the church, well, that's incumbent upon each one of us building up ourselves, right? Let, letting the Lord build us the way he wants us to grow and establishing that firm foundation in Christ. And um, uh, this song is, is, is a great song, Build My Life. The chorus, not the chorus, the bridge says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. And when you read that the first time, it's almost like, "Is that even possible?" And and the writer has to sing it softly the first time, almost like, "This is too good to be true." That I could build my life on a, on a solid rock, and then once you start doing that and trusting, you realize, "Yeah, it, it's not only possible; it's real." And then you get louder. And that's what the writer does here. He, he asks us to sing a little bit louder every time. And as, as you do that, think about your relationship and how you've grown in Christ. And you, we can trust Him, amen? We can put all of our faith in Him, amen? So let's sing this together.
2: song we could ever see
0: He is the immovable solid rock. Amen? Let's sing it again. My hope is built
2: on nothing less than Jesus Christ.
1: Well, good morning. Back uh, in October, <clears throat> I was pre- presented with uh, a few books, which is a pastor's blessing to get. It was around pastor appreciation. And Ms. Pam Trotter gave me a few books. Obviously, we're in the book of Ephesians, so the books had something to do with Ephesians. And one book is called Devoted to God's Church. And it's written by Sinclair Ferguson. I would encourage you to grab you a copy of that. But he starts off chapter 4 by talking about the fact that we should love our church as a glorious addiction. Well, that shot through my mind and my spine and my whole way of thinking. And I thought, wow. And he also added, and the Holy Spirit of God wants to make that contagious. A holy Glorious, We might say a healthy, holy, glorious addiction. So this statement captures, is captured in the caption by the heading which is, What does it mean to be a member? Or, or what does church membership actually mean? And he began to talk about an invitation that he gets yearly... ...to go to a particular golf course. And he said, every time I go with this friend that invites me... ...I'm standing on the green and I tee the ball up... ...and I'm looking at the beautiful fairways. And he said, I'll just turn to him and say... ...what a privilege and a treat for me to be able to play here. And he says, thank you. I'll I'll always turn and say thank you. And his response, the friend's response... As always to say it is a great golf course and it's a privilege for me to belong here. Uh, Dr. Ferguson at one occasion <clears throat> overheard some uh, members of the club talking about the membership initiation fee and he overheard them say it was $100,000 and Ferguson thought wow That gives new meaning to my friend's words. It's such a privilege to be a part of this course. So Ferguson goes on to say that it's evident in this man's enjoyment that he shares his privilege with countless friends. And it's really a wonderful thing to experience. And his point is we need to magnify that over and over again for us to even be able to grasp minimally what it was like for those first Christians in the book of Acts in the early church and how they felt about the sense of belonging. It's my belief that you cannot belong to Christ and not belong to his church. It is an impossibility. So the various, the language that Paul uses uh, of the imagery in chapter 4 of Ephesians is that of a body, right? Certainly, we've read ahead numerous times to see the terminology of a body used. There are various parts of it. Arms, and if we think of the imagery, and you have legs and eyes and ears and mouth and hands and feet. So these are members, but they're very different from one another. They look different. They act differently. Yet there is an organic Connection and a unity among all the parts of the body. Each part needs others, other parts, for the body to function properly. This is the understanding from Ephesians. So, in other words, there's mutual dependence upon one another. And the head of this body is the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all under His direction. We're all under His leadership. And when this body is working properly... It is the most wonderful thing in the world to belong to. You have to see this. Uh, And I think that's what's damaging uh, the world today in regard to church life. We don't see the church as the old hymn used to say, Thy church, O God, I love. We, We don't sense that as much today. After all, the Bible does tell us that Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians five twenty five, I think it would be I think it's normal for those who belong to Jesus to love the church and also give themselves for her. Amen? So this is exactly what the first Christians felt. In the book of Acts we have the second part of Luke's treatise of the gospel life, uh, the first one being the gospel of Luke, and the second one being Acts. And what word do you see in Acts chapter two? I think beginning in verse 41. And they devoted. It's not a stretch to translate that word addiction. They devoted themselves. And when you read that text, they were devoted to three things with all they had. The word of God, right? One another in the church and worship to our sovereign God. Folks, I'm telling you, if you get addicted to those three things, you will not need all the other addictions in the world. And we wonder, think about this. Think about the, sometimes the lack of discipline that we have in our lives. M- much of that is due to the fact that we don't hold this holy addiction to the things that are most important in life. The receiving of the word of God. Serving one another in this body and most importantly which fuels everything we do is the worship not worshiping worship not worshiping a particular brand of music but worshiping god worshiping our lord and when you're in acts chapter 5 you got this incredible lesson of Ananias and Sapphira who were they were reputation seeking hypocritical people if you've ever read chapter 5 and then they die first case of being slain in the spirit in the church life but they die right because of their attitude and what the holy spirit of god knew about them and then the book of acts records two incredible things juxtaposition together in verses 13 and 16 of acts Many in the community fear joining them. <laughs> right? they, they didn't want to be a part of this group. But on the flip side of that in verse 16, the Holy Spirit of God was working and people were being saved and added to the church. You know, what, what happened to that? What, what happened to that understanding of the juxtaposition between the fear of God and many people saying, I dare not join that group because I don't fit in. It's not me. Right? But others were... Where the spirit of God was like moving in the hearts of people so mightily that they were drawn to the Lord. That's what the church looked like. Now we all would like a fail-safe plan to keep our bodies healthy. Well folks, I'm telling you now, God has already given us that plan for his church. It's absolutely God's plan, His agenda, for His church. And we've been looking at that plan, have we not? God, in verse 7, has given everybody that saved a spiritual gift. You've been gifted by the Lord. And then the Lord turns around and he gifts leaders for the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And he did that for a purpose. And today we're going to see what the purpose is. The ultimate purpose is the building up of the body of Christ. Did y'all hear that? Remember that terminology? Not everybody's an ear. Not everybody's a foot. Not everybody's uh, whatever body part. You're, you're just, not everybody's that. However, we are the body of Christ. And again, remember verse 16. It's kind of the parentheses on the end. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up In love. So today let's focus our attention at the at the end or at the beginning of verse twelve. I'm going to start reading to run us back up to it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. Here it is, what does it say? To equip the saints. Now hold your hat, are you ready? For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Let's stop there because what we're going to do next week is flesh out what spiritual maturity in the church actually looks like according to verses 13 through 16. But for today, let's focus on leaders are given to do what? Equip the saints. Now, for years, people, when they read the King James Version, came away thinking this way because of the commas, And the way that it translated the Greek text. They came away thinking this. The pastors are the ministers. And they're supposed to equip the saints. And they're supposed to do the work of the ministry. That's exactly the way the commas work when you read the King James Version. What's interesting is, is that the new King James Version goes away from the King James Version. There because of the markings of the prepositions. In other words... Is this work of the ministry, the job of pastors and teachers to equip the saints and do the work of the ministry and edify the body in the process? Well, the other view is that the purpose of the pastor, teacher, is to equip the saints. And the saints are, the, are to do the work of the ministry. And thus, it build up the body of Christ, even the NIV. Which is not my favorite translation. It's a dynamic equivalent. But many, many times it hammers it and nails it correctly. And it even reminds us of that particular understanding of the prepositional phrases and the commas. In the, which you don't have commas in Greek, you understand. So they have to supply those. That in the reading here, it is that the pastor teachers are to equip the saints. To do what? For them to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So this is to remind you that it should be read as Christ gifting the church with ministers to equip the body, and then the body is to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body itself. And that it does not mean that the pastor stands off aloof and doesn't do anything but equip. Uh, you know, the pastor can plunge a toilet too. Amen. Whatever it takes in the church. Whatever it takes in church life, we're willing to do it, right? That's exactly who we should be as the people of God. But the grammar supports the view that it's the pastor's primary responsibility as a pastor teacher to equip the saints. It's not just the ecclesiastical elite that it receives grace, but all of God's people. Notice the language that is given in verse 16. Each member contributes to the building up of the body. So the ministry is equipping the saints to do what they've been called to do. Interesting word equip is found also in 2 Timothy 3.16. That the man of God may be fully equipped, a workman, ready and willing. Another lexicon says it means to make someone adequate or sufficient for something. It literally means equipment or preparation through training. That's the primary responsibility of a pastor teacher is to equip. In other words, to prepare the sheep for the ministry. To prepare the sheep to serve. Now the ministry is always concerned with evangelism and conversion, aren't we? We want to see those things take place. We, we seek to evangelize lost sinners. We, we seek to see our God convert hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the ministry exists primarily in this context, not for the lost. The ministry exists here in the context for the church. Are y'all listening? The ministry that God gives to His church exists primarily for the building up of the saints. God does this in order for each member to serve. Grace has been given to each of us as a Christian. And yet, here, not only grace but ministry has been given to you. Do you see how important this is? And, and we preachers say this, but do you know, you know how few churches really take hold of this and become people who do the work of the ministry? Do you know how few churches actually function in this particular manner? Verse 7 proves that you are vitally needed in the church. Are you all listening? But grace was given to how many? To each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But verse 12 makes it plain that all of you are in some measure lacking the improvement in the graces to serve. Right? You've been given the gift of grace and some spiritual gift. But we all need training in that particular gift. When you get to verse 7, it proves that you are vitally needed in the church. Why? Grace was given to each one of us, but verse 12 proves that the church is vitally needing of you. If you're saved and a member of this church, God has given you pastors and teachers. And here's what I I like this word. To furnish you for ministry, for service. This happens through the ministry of the word. Note that, people. There's a laser focus with apostles, prophets, evangelists. And pastor-teachers. And what is the laser focus upon? The Word of God. Now, I know you give, I know you think about that. But do we think about it deeply enough? Do we think about how much we need the Word of God in order to prepare ourselves for service? I can't even fathom the facts that many men stand in the pulpit and the last thing they do is preach the Word. They may tell stories, they may uh, give you a nice uh, speech or homily, but do you understand, our service is connected to the truth of the word of God. Understand how important this is to us. This is exactly what uh, Paul is going to say in what we call the pastoral epistles when he writes Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Listen to this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And note verse 16, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the word of God is designed to equip you. A healthy diet for the word of God is is so important for our church family. The Word of God is designed in this manner. This also takes place through pastoral ministries, such as counseling, leading and protecting. The Lord Jesus Christ has given elders and teachers to equip you. For what? Well, certainly we want people to live in holiness, walk in holiness. We want people to walk in obedience. We want our people to worship the Lord. We want our people to love But before we get to the ultimate goal, which is the building of the body of Christ, there's this intermediate goal that is clearly given here. And that's, we are given as pastor-teachers to equip you to do something. Right? It's the equipping of the saints for something, which leads us to point number two. Saints are called to service. I think this is pretty simple. Don't y'all? Pastors and teachers... Equip the sheep to serve. Again, so simple, but realistically, let's look around at churches, even in our community and around the world. Is that what we have? Do we have the actual saints and the sheep who are serving? And now I want to believe that over the last five and a half years that I've done my Best, especially when it comes to the preaching of the word, maybe not my living. We all are colossal failures in many, many ways. But the goal is to keep in mind that the teacher has a responsibility too. Paul will say, you were imitators of us. So I have a responsibility if I'm going to be considered a leader in the realm of pastor-teacher. Is to keep this to the forefront. That not only do we set the example... But we give the encouragement that church life... Look, in other words, I would be handicapping our church if I said to you, I'm doing all the work. There would be no multiplication of ministry. We're not called to monopolize. We're called to multiply. And that's what the church of the living God is supposed to do. So that brings us to verse 12. And I started to put C, but some of us get concerned. What is a C in a numerical number? Well... It just means the latter part. So we would say verse 12 has an A, B, and C. And we get to this middle section. The last part, building up the body, will be certainly the C in the understanding. But saints are called to service. Do you see it clearly in the Bible? To equip the saints for the, say it, work of ministry. Are you ready? Work! Now that would probably get me in trouble with the media today. Uh, It's almost a bad word in our culture to say work. Now, are you ready for utter shock? Is everybody sitting back for the shock value? Christianity is a religion of works. Do you feel the shock value in that? Uh, Martin Luther read the book of James and he was like, "Mm, I'm not so sure they should have put this in a canon because it seems to contradict Paul. When he says, for by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Which is absolutely clear. But it is not a religion. Our religion is not a religion of works righteousness. Right? But it is a religion of works. Grace always, by necessity, comes first. But mark my words, works will Follow. Christianity is not a religion of the free ride. As a matter of fact, it begins with an extraordinary work on your behalf called redemption. It begins with a work. It's the greatest work that could ever be imagined. Planned in the eternal council of the divine trinity before the world ever began. And that was for our God to do a work on our behalf on the hill of Calvary to save our souls. It begins with a work and it flows into our lives. It begins with Christ's work on our behalf and giving us his righteousness. And then our works flow out of it by empowered grace and Jesus living through us. So, Christianity is a religion of works. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your bumper stickers for Jesus. That they may see your WWJD bracelet. That they may see, back in the day, some of you appreciate this, your Sunday school pins, pinned from here down to the floor. Right? Is that what it's for? No, the text says they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When Paul thinks about the Thessalonians, remember, he only preached there three weeks and then he was run out of town. But when he thinks about them, here's what he thinks about. What comes to Paul's mind in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is their faith, is their hope, and is their love. And here's how he explains it. I saw your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. Stop and consider for a moment James chapter 2, verse 18. And and James says, oh, you say you've been given grace? Or, Or you say you have faith? I tell you, your faith without works is dead. So James would remind us of that. Well, you don't have to look too far to see it in the chapter, in the book we're in. Let your eyes fall back to the left side of the page. If you're where I am in my scripture, mine's, I'm on page 1095. Right? 1094 and 1095. But here's the deal. What does it say in Ephesians 2.10? For we are His workmanship. Poem is the word. Created in Christ Jesus. Hey, do you see it? For good works. Which God predestined that you would walk in them. Think about this. Right here in Our context. Jesus has not only saved you, but He saved you unto good works. In in other words, when God redeems you, he redeems you unto good works. Let me show you this in another pastoral epistle called the book of Titus. Titus 2 verse 14. Listen to the word of the Lord. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3 verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Works Are y'all getting this? Verse 14. I love this one. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Uh, just, just, Just listen to that. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. In other words, if we fail to meet those requests for needs... Then we're unfruitful. Right. So, listen folks. Praise God for our Lord's good work on our behalf. Thank the Lord for redemption. But he also saved us unto good works. So here's the word. Ergon. Work. It's a good word. Now the KJV says, Work are works of the ministry. Well, the problem with that is in the Greek, there's no definite article. There's not. It's not there. The is not there. So it's work of ministry or work of service. Let's talk about that for just a moment. It's really plain old service. When you translate it, if you want it to be a little, uh, have more of an edge of being gritty, it's plain old table service. That's really the definition here. The idea is a service of a lowly kind. One lexicon says it is to render assistance or help by performing certain duties, often of a humble and menial nature. The head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's given these ministerial gifts, as given in the text, to his church in order to equip his people for the work of service. There ought to be a chain reaction. There ought to be a chain reaction in all of us. Jesus gives gifts to the church. These gifts are in preparation and they equip the saints and the saints do the work of the ministry. So in other words, the ministry serves up the food which serves as the fuel for our activity. God has designed the church to work this way. Now, what does that mean for us? When we see a phrase like work of ministry. Well, the first thing I would have to ask is what's our motivation for doing it? I mean, isn't that fair? Work of ministry. Work of service. What's our motivation? Look up to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Enough said. Right? Motivation. You go back to verse 7, and the proper motivation is the measure of Christ's gift given to you when you came to faith in Christ. When Jesus said to you, when Jesus... Brought you out of darkness into marvelous light. When he made you and turned you from an idolater into a worshiper. By the way, which is the highest goal of your salvation. God has taken you from being an idolater and made you a worshiper of the king. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Our father seeks such to worship him. But he also took you from being one that was a self-server. And He turned you into someone who serves others. That's the chain reaction. That's what grace does. When when the grace of God invades your life and permeates your life and your heart, it changes you. It changes your motivations and the way you live. Why do you think preachers say to you so often let your actions follow in that sense, the heart change in your life and why does it bother us so much when that never happens? Because you wonder if we've ever met Christ or not. If there's not a Proper motivation from the inside. Why? Because God has taken out that heart of stone and he's put in a heart of flesh. All that we can say about works of service begins with the free and sovereign, saving, redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it doesn't start there, it's worthless. It has to start with verse 7. So motivation. What's your motivation? Well, here it is. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's why we serve. That's the motivation. Second, I want to say that there's a vital connection with the ministers that are given and the service that takes place. It's not just the grace given. It's the ministry that equips. You see that connection. How can we define those works of service? So, there is, of course, the motivation, and then there's the connection of the preached word and the ones who go out and serve. You see that? There's a vital connection. But then we have to stop and ask how can we define works of service? Well, it's as it is at least defined as doing good to others in a way that can be material or spiritual. Can't we be honest? Especially when you look at chapter 3, verse 16 of Titus, when it says there's urgent needs. And you would be unfruitful if you didn't meet those needs. We can certainly say that it's defined as doing good to others in any way, material or spiritual, would be concerning service or duty that the gospel calls us to do. Again, in in Titus 3.16, it's meeting needs. Simply being an instrument in our Redeemer's hand for someone else's benefit, either by word or deed. Did y'all catch that? either by word or deed. In order to do this, we have to jettison the stereotypical understanding of ministry. Are y'all listening? This is important. you got to lay aside some of the stereotypical things that are thrown out there about what ministry actually is. In other words, when we think of the stereotypes, we're always very restricted in what it means to serve God. I am a member of FBCO's choir. Well, I've got news for you. You're part of the choir whether you sing well or not. You don't have to be sitting up here. If you're saved, you're part of the choir. Or you better be. Or God will have the very rocks cry out in your place. But listen. There is the stereotype of, well, ministry number one that I do at the church is I'm in the choir. Ministry number two, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Usually ministry number three is not used to say stereotypically I'm in the nursery. (laughs) Yeah, Right? But choir, Sunday school teacher, usher, and serving on the committees. Now, you know this is true, don't you? I mean, when you think about church service, I hope that we don't think like that right now. But most churches think like that. In other words, if I don't have a title, then I'm not really in the ministry. Folks, do you see how naive that is? Do you see how that misses what the text is teaching? Okay? Uh, This often defines what we think about ministry. Now, do we need people to serve in those areas? David would say, please don't kill my (laughs) choir, right? Yes, we do. But the erroneous thinking in our day goes like this. I have three ministries, or I do five ministries. Here's my job description. Here's my function. And I also get a title with it. Yippee, right? Well, this, in fact, puts a damper on. It limits the equipping of the saints for service. Shall we get specific about what this can look like? Stacking chairs. Shoveling snow. And I am tired of snow (laughs) and ice. And I bet you are too, right? I hope we can shovel it all away by one church activity with all of us together, right? What about paying someone's electric bill? Mm. visiting someone who needs to be encouraged, giving them prayer and scripture, talking about touching a pastor's heart to see the video that I I don't know who sent it, but it was at Jim and Lana Jenkins' home, and Sunday school class was in there. Man, it's good stuff, isn't it? Reading the Word, gathered around their people that they love, that have a closer bond usually than even families. And the church has come together, and they're praying. This is outside the stereotypical thinking of what the ministry is. How about opening up your home? How about giving someone a place to stay? How about teaching a young kid a skill? Mm. How about watching someone's children? (laughs) Let me choose which children you bring into my house. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I've watched, and I've looked before I said that, and... uh, Right? How about making a phone call because you haven't seen someone in a while? You know, folks, that when, you, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the book of Acts, this is what it means to minister. All right? How about being a faithful dad? We're going to see that in Ephesians 5, right? How about being a faithful mom? Is that part of your service to others? Oh, friends, we're missing it. How about, how about loving your wife, guys, as Christ loved the church? How about wives voluntarily yielding in submission to the husbands who lead spiritually? Yeah, yep, that's part of it. Kids, you're not off the hook. How about that umbrella of authority? You do understand that Genesis 3 gives us conflict and confusion in the marital relationship. But when you get to Ephesians 5, this is life together. Led by the Holy Spirit of God. Husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submitting unto their husbands as unto the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children obeying your parents in the Lord for this is right. That's part of your service. Right? It's part of the service to the Lord. Please blast out of your mind the preconceived little box that you checked off that you think you fit in or you may not fit in. And if you don't fit in it, you really can't be a minister here at the church. Get that out of your mind. If we are motivated by His grace, if we're equipped by His word, then we will never run out of ideas for the works of the ministry. We just won't. We can't. Right? Not only is the body strengthened by this, but it's a dynamic Christian witness to the community around us. There's no place where they love each other and help each other like the church down there at FBCO. That'd be a really good thing for people to think about, would it not? That we actually serve one another. This is the mantle of our credibility that is needed for our verbal witness. That's why uh, people use terminology like every member ministry. Think about that for a moment. Every member ministry. John Stott makes this observation. In the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers was recovered for the church. Thank God it was. And he says this, And maybe it's taken us to the 20th century to restore an an every-member ministry in the church. Ministry is not defined with the vestiges of of ministerial elitism. But it's the privileged calling of every born-again child of God. If you're saved, my task is to enable you to be a servant people. Our goal, again, should never be to monopolize ministry, but to multiply ministry. Give Jesus, the Lord God of eternity, gave us pastors and teachers, right, for the edification of the body to help in that process. But we're not the only ones that assist in that. Every member doing their part. And again, that next prepositional phrase gives us the ultimate quintessential purpose. Notice how it is. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. for the building up of the body of Christ. Building up refers figuratively to spiritual strengthening of believers. Because this transitions us to the next section beginning in verse 13, which is clearly spiritual maturity, spiritual strengthening. And we think about all these little babies. We heard a little Malachi over here crying. They're the cutest things in the world. But they're not real cute if they stay babies until they're 20. Right? They're they're intended to grow. Now catch this. Because of the context and the terminology in the text, this is not first speaking of quantity of growth. So it's not quantitative. It is qualitative growth. In other words, there has to be a proportion... When God saves people and brings them into this church, there has to be the appropriate spiritual growth. If there's not, we're not gonna, it's not going to cut the mustard, right? The goal is just not to get people saved and in the church. The goal is to make disciples. The goal is for growth. And so the purpose here in this text, the building up of the body, folks, listen, to: it, is spiritual strengthening within the body. To make us more like Jesus. To conform us. So the kind of building up the Lord is speaking of here is spiritual maturity. God must grow us spiritually in proportion to numerical growth or it will not last. So if I am successful under the headship of Christ in leadership. To get you to follow the Lord in this manner. Then I'm telling you the walls of this church will not be able to contain the impact in this community. If we do what this text says, all right, conclusion. The church will be enriched in worship and missions, and everyone will be serving. That's the goal. Uh, When we all serve, the body is edified, the body is blessed, and we build ourselves up in that particular process of God working through us and doing it exactly the way God says to do it. Tony Marita says this. Every member should grow up and use a tie and not wear a bib. That is so true for all of us. Paul Tripp adds, Your life is bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent children. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothing. He goes on to say, In reality, you are part of something immense. Something that began before you were born... And guess what? It'll continue on when you die. God is rescuing falling humanity. He's transporting them into His kingdom. And He is progressively changing every single one of them that's saved into the likeness of His Son. He wants you to be a part of it. There's nothing greater, here we are, holy addiction, right? Than for you to spend your life for the glory of Jesus, our Redeemer, and His church. Amen. Next week, we're going to tackle that the church is marked by spiritual maturity. Invitation is clear. Pray for me. I need your prayers, right? Teachers in this church, elders in this church. We need prayer about securing elders, like right? right? Teaching elders that are not only paid staff, we think about that all the time, but lay elders in our church. We, we need prayer in that regard for those who preach and teach. We also need to pray for one another that we'll do exactly what this text says. That we will do our part in service. Not check off a box to say, well, how do I fit in these four or five things? But no, I'm talking about genuine Christian service to one another. Uh, If you don't know the Lord today, the gospel is clear, is it not? I declare to you of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul would remind us in verse 8 of chapter 15 after saying this, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's the grace of God. For by grace are we saved, here's your response, through faith. Amen? For by grace are we saved through faith. And that faith... That work is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you need to know the Lord today, secondarily, if, if you are visiting here and you want to be a part of a church like what we've just preached, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you follow the believer's baptism, and you want to help us be that kind of church, come on, right? Be a part of what God is doing here. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, help us. Help leaders. Lord, help the pastors in this church to lead as you would call us to lead. Lord, we'd have to say if we fail to see ministries multiply and people serving, if we fail to to see that, then Lord, we need to reposition ourselves, refocus ourselves. And Lord, the last thing we need to do is get away from the laser focus of the word being preached. That's the first thing we need to do to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to be prepared, a workman ready for service. We have to be emboldened and formed and fashioned and furnished through the living word of God. It's it's the meat, it's the milk, it's what we should desire. And Lord, help us. Help us to be people who are picking up the towel, not wearing bibs. Help us in that regard, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Let's stand together and sing just as I am. Just as I
2: am with us.
0: plays this once more. Any more decisions need to be made come from
1: Carly. She's not going to let go of her dad's hand, I don't think. This is Carly Garrison. And uh, about a week ago, on the bedside, I guess before sleep time, uh, the Lord was working in Carly's heart and she trusted Jesus as her Lord. Amen. And uh, we're excited about God working in the hearts of our children. And I know Carly would appreciate you praying for her. In our prayer up here, we pray that God will give her understanding as she grows, right, Right. which we all need, amen, and we thank the Lord for grace and forgiveness and his word and his Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, and so we rejoice with the Lord, we're going to talk to Jeff and Nikki about baptism, and we look forward to that, amen, to God be the glory, all right, scary to say I want our church to be addicted, but we need to be. Totally devoted to the Word, to one another, and worship. Worship to our God. Read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. You'll see it's there, right? Totally devoted. It's a privilege and an honor to be your pastor. And I, I appreciate some of you taking up the offer when I said I need to, you need to know those who labor among you. Some of you have knocked on the office door. You've given a call. I've been able to sit down with some this week. That's awesome. Keep doing it, right? If you're going to take me out to eat, I like to go to Chick-fil-A. Yeah. <laughs> Joey, I appreciate that, right? Where's Joey? Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. God bless you. There are lots of places of service as well. Get with James. Uh, we got a hospitality team working. Uh, praise the Lord. we got lights in the foyer. You see that? So it's coming along, and our tile is getting laid, and we got lots and lots of things going on. So uh, just bend our ear, and we'll try to help you get plugged in. All right. To God be the glory. Uh, No service tonight, but next Sunday night we will. The 13th we'll be training for visitation outreach for Sunday evenings and then, of course, the Lord's Supper on uh, the next Sunday, whatever that is. Also, the 13th, that night, we're going to take a little bit of time to hear from Kirk Lightfield, our missionary in Guatemala, okay? So keep that in mind as well. Brother David?
0: Some things never change, Baptist preachers and fried chicken. Let's sing together uh, Christ Alone. Christ alone. Alone,
2: cornerstone.